In Acts chapter 14, go ahead and turn there. There's a story that we read as Paul and Barnabas are in the middle of a missionary journey, a trip going from place to place, preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the beginning of the chapter, they're in Iconium and they're having good fruit from their work and the Jews and the Greeks, many people are believing, but eventually the Jews become embittered and stir up persecution against them. And so they leave and they go, verse 8, over to Lystra, where they heal a man who was lame, who had never walked. And at that point, the people in the city come out and they want to worship Paul and Barnabas because of this amazing miracle. Right? And they decide that Barnabas must be Zeus and Paul must be Hermes because Paul does most of the talking. I'm just kind of giving you an overview till we can get to uh, all the way up to 19 where, where I'm going to start reading. Um, so, again, we're, they're in the city of Lystra. The crowds come out, want to worship them. Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 no. We're just men like you. We're servants of the one true God. We are not gods. And so it says in verse 18, even saying these things, with difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. So they, the crowds were actually ready to sacrifice. The priests come out with a bull. Everything was set to make a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And this sounds crazy to us to think that there would be this level of praise and adoration going on until you go to any sporting event. And then you realize that actually we do the same kind of worship and praising today when the people who we think are gods because they've done amazing things, like sack the quarterback X number of times in this game and over their career. And we keep track of the amazing things that they've done, right? And then we forever by them, we stand in awe of them. <clears throat> and we sacrifice, we sacrifice a lot. Oftentimes, we're willing to sacrifice a lot of money to go and see these games, or maybe to pay for the, uh, the upgraded cable that you need to be able to watch the sporting events that you want to watch, right? So, let's not be too hard on the people of Lystra, is what I'm, is what I'm saying, right? The people of Lystra were not all that different from us when they brought out a bull. They were willing to say, hey, these guys have done amazing things. Let's give credit where credit is due. And yet what Paul and Barnabas say is, no, credit is due not to us, but to God. Right? Credit is not due to us. God is the one who works miracles. 
He is the one who restored this man's ability to walk. <clears throat> but remember where they had been before. They had been in Iconium and they had they'd been persecuted there. Well, we're going to start reading where the, the Jews who had been upset with them in Iconium return back into the story here in Lystra. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, chapter 14 of the book of Acts, starting in verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is truly amazing how quickly public opinion shifts, isn't it? Verse 18 says, With difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. And verse 19 says, They stoned Paul and left him for dead. That's quite the swing, right? Quite the different opinion that they had of Paul one verse later. We don't know exactly what the time frame was that this had happened. But, re- but remember, there was no forgetting that he and Barnabas, by the power of God, had healed this lame man. Everybody knew about it. Everybody saw it. They had a big crowd celebration, ready to offer sacrifices. Everybody remembered that. When they were stoning Paul. And this is often the way it is with idols that we set up. Bringing it into the realm of politics, uh, I remember watching um, some little videos of Bernie Sanders supporters when Bernie said, now we need to all support Hillary because she's won the... So this was, this was in the Democratic National Convention, I think. And there were, there were a lot of people who had been supporting Bernie, and there were a lot of people that had been supporting Hillary in the, in the Democratic Party, and there was this big fight, right? <clears throat> and apparently, some of the people who had been supporting Bernie had really begun to place a very high value on him, uh, they, were, they were totally and completely committed 
to voting for Bernie and never voting for Hillary. Until the very moment that Bernie said, now it's time to vote for Hillary. And then, if you watched them, their opinion of Bernie Sanders went suddenly from, he's a god, to stone him. <laughs> and, but with worse, much, much, much worse language. If you missed that, that's fine. I'm just telling you, this is the kind of thing that we still see happen. Uh, if, if we have really, really begun to idolize someone and then they do something that makes us angry, then we are really, really angry. The more we've raised them up, the more angry we get once they offend us. And so... When the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds, won them over to being angry at Paul and Barnabas, um, then the, the crowds were very, very angry. Angry enough to stone him and leave him for dead. It's amazing also how easy it is for a few skilled and determined people to change public opinion to what they want it to be. I mean, it's not like the entire city of Iconium or all of the Jews that lived in Iconium came and overwhelmed the public opinion. Right? It's... It only takes a few people saying the right things. And this is what PR firms are paid to do, right? Going from ready to worship Paul and Barnabas to stoning Paul is not that hard to convince with the right with the right PR message and with a good, you know, on target messaging video that's well done. And yet the the amazing thing is that whether the crowds love him or hate him, Paul continues doing the same work, doesn't he? He's preaching the gospel and doing the work of Jesus Christ prior to healing this man who is lame, and then he continues doing the same work trying to give all glory to God and turn the people to worshiping God while they're trying to worship Him. And then he continues after they've tried to stone Him. In fact, after he goes to Derby for a while, he goes back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. All these places where he was just persecuted. One of which he was stoned and left for dead. At Antioch, they had been persecuted and chased out of the area. At Iconium, the people had tried to stone them. And Lystra is this town where we just read about Paul being stoned. But they go back to these exact same towns. They are continuing to do the same work. It's not like they went back on a public apology tour. Right? They were going to continue 
proclaiming the gospel and to strengthening those to, to do the work of strengthening those who had already believed in each of those towns. That's what it says. <clears throat> Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And that seems natural enough, since it doesn't seem like it would be very easy to be a disciple in those areas, does it? What had just happened to Paul and Barnabas in each of those places? Serious persecution. You think that the people who had become disciples were going to face an easy time being disciples in those areas? No, it's not likely. So how was it that Paul and Barnabas strengthened the souls of the disciples? Well, it says that they encouraged them to continue in the faith. Encouraged them to continue in the faith. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to encourage each of you to continue in the faith. Or those of you who don't have faith, I want to exhort you to give your heart and soul and body to God, to serving Jesus Christ. And then I want to encourage you to continue in the faith. We each face temptations every day to turn away from God and to live our own life apart from Him. And those temptations can take various forms. One of the forms that we see most clearly in this passage is serious persecution. In Matthew 10.22, we read Jesus saying to His disciples, You will be hated by all because of My name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. How important is that? It is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. We must endure to the end. <clears throat> and so there is, uh, there is no concept of, as the popular form puts it, um, once saved, always saved. Though being a true concept, okay, in popular form, in, the, in that wording, once saved, always saved, implies a correlation between a moment in time where you, maybe in VBS or maybe in uh, some Bible study or when you were five with your mom or whatever it was, you know, that you were convinced to make a decision and to pray a prayer and that that is the moment you were saved. Okay? And that from then on, or, or maybe in your mind it's, it's associated with a different moment. Maybe it's associated with the moment that you went through confirmation. Or maybe it's associated with the fact that you were baptized as an infant. That 
whatever it is, that was the thing that saved you, and that now from now on, you're good. Once saved, and that happened here, right? Then always saved. And so now you can do whatever you want. And yeah, I mean, it would be good. It would be better if you went to church and if you worshiped God and if you, if you tried to obey him and all this other stuff that's like in the Bible and whatever. But once saved, always saved. So it's all cool. No. It is absolutely essential that we must endure to the end. And so is it true that once you are saved, you are always saved? Yes, it is, actually. But you will endure to the end if you have ever been saved. That's that's the key that puts it all back together, right? And so we are warned to endure to the end, that we must endure to the end. And we're warned about that in the very context of Jesus saying, you will be hated by all because of me. In other words, that serious persecution that comes is going to be a major source of temptation for us to stop enduring, isn't it? There's a reason those sentences go back to back. So as Paul and Barnabas return to these cities to encourage them to continue in the faith, you can imagine they've just gotten done preaching in these cities not that long ago the message of salvation by Jesus Christ alone. And then being persecuted out of town... You can imagine them coming back and saying, okay, you have to keep believing this. It's, I know that you're going to face persecution, but, but listen, Jesus himself promised that you would face persecution. So don't be thrown off by that. Don't be surprised by it. Continue in your faith. And so that is exactly what he says when he continues on. It says, through many tribulations, verse 22, right after saying that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Another way of saying this is, Matthew 16.24, when Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, is this the kind of encouraging to continue in the faith that you were wanting to hear? When, When I said I want to encourage you to continue in the faith this morning, that's my goal, that you would all leave here encouraged to continue in the faith Is that what you would want to hear from Paul? Well, yeah, if you were in one of these cities, that is exactly what you would want to hear from Paul when he returned. You would want to hear the assurance, yes, 
This is to be expected. There will be many tribulations. And you would want to hear these quotes from Jesus that he had said to his disciples, right? Why? Well, because you see the very real possibility of serious consequences in your life for having placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Loss of income, your job, your life, your parents hating you, being cut out of the family inheritance. There there is no saying what the ramifications will be of giving your life to Jesus Christ aside from the one thing we know above any doubt, and that is that it will be through tribulation. That it will be taking up your cross. There is no avoiding it being a taking up of your cross in order to follow after Jesus Christ. But Paul is not exhorting us to something that he himself is unwilling to do. Paul is a missionary who they have seen go through these very tribulations. And his very returning to those cities where his life is in danger just by being present, right? His very returning to them is itself a strengthening of their faith, isn't it? He demonstrates to them his willingness to suffer with them these persecutions, these tribulations, these trials, this suffering that he tells them that they must be ready for. He himself has already gone before them in it. Imagine the man who wants to be a missionary making disciples in China, but refuses to join the underground church because he doesn't want to get kicked out of the country or get them persecuted. Just think about that for a second. How are you going to make disciples if you're going to limit yourself to serving who the government says you can serve in the way the government says you can serve saying only the things that the government approves of you saying. Who are you serving? Are you making disciples for Jesus Christ? Hardly. You're making disciples of the official government policy, whatever it happens to be that day. Right? And you say, you, there's, all, there's all kinds of ways of justifying this, aren't there? Well, you know, I need to be able to stay here so that I can keep serving the people, so I need to make sure that I do whatever the government says. Otherwise, I won't be able to ser- stay here and make disciples. 
Sounds reasonable on the one hand, right? He can't minister if he gets kicked out. And then on the other hand, you know, his presence is going to draw attention. So if he goes into the underground church, they're liable to suffer when he's caught saying something that they, that, that's unapproved by the government, right? And then they'll face problems. They'll be persecuted. But on the other hand, can a man like that expect that his, the people that he ministers to who seek to follow after him in the faith, will they go where he will not go? Will they risk what he will not risk? He may indeed, by God's mercy, bear fruit for God's kingdom. Faithless, though his actions may be. And yet, do we expect much fruit from such a man? No. We really don't. And we shouldn't. And he won't strengthen the souls of the disciples that he does interact with by teaching them this truth. But what could be more encouraging to those who are facing direct persecution than to hear that it is through these tribulations that we enter heaven? It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And so... As you look forward into the next however many years living here in this nation, I want you to realize that no matter what happens politically, no matter what happens with uh, the states, no matter what happens with our presidents and our senators, God may raise up faithful men and He may give us His judgment sending wicked men to rule us. But either way, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. But Paul is not simply talking about persecution. Tribulations are more broad than simply persecutions that we face, whether those are from your family, whether those are at the workplace, whether those come from the government. They will come if we're faithful. That's Jesus' promise. To deny that is to say that God is a liar. You will take up your cross And taking up your cross is a painful thing. (laughs) 
But tribulations can be other things besides persecution from men. It can also be tribulations that come by way of attacks from Satan through temptation. Think about the intensity of the temptation that you face with various sins in your life. Each and every one of us having particular sins that we are more susceptible to, more tempted by, right? And of course, it is Satan's desire to cause us to stumble. To turn our eyes away from Jesus Christ. To turn our eyes away from God and turn us towards seeking after various idols. But is that all that Satan does? No, he doesn't just tempt us, but he also accuses us. This is another tribulation that we receive is accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. What does that mean? Well, it means that he levels charges a lot. Oh, well, you know, he's judgmental. They're hypocritical. There's no hope for you. You've gone one sin too many now. You don't really, you, you don't really love God. You don't, you're not really a child of God. Or you would never sin. These are the kinds of accusations that come from Satan. We are at war. And our expectation ought to be that war is hard. Not that it's easy. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And so what we see is that these tribulations include all of the war that happens against our soul. This is part of the tribulations that we face. Through many tribulations. And so, if it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God, what is the goal of Satan's accusations against us? His whole goal is to get us to give up the war to stop fighting our sin. Right? So that we do not persevere to the end. That's his whole goal. Satan is an enemy. And we receive attacks each and every day from Him on our soul. We also 
face the struggle that comes from within ourselves, we don't actually need Satan's help to be tempted to sin, do we? We've got original sin buried deep within our hearts. Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? As Isaiah says. And so, through many tribulations, if you are to enter the kingdom of God, that is going to require you to fight against your own sin. Not just fighting against Satan and his temptations and his accusations, but fighting the old man that is left within your heart. But there are, other, there are other tribulations as well. Other tribulations are discipline from the hand of the Lord. Hard things that He sends us through because He loves us. Remember, that is the promise in Hebrews that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. And so... It is through these kinds of difficulties, these kinds of tribulations. There are many of them. They are diverse tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. Why does God discipline us? Because He loves us. He disciplines us so that it will go well with us. So that we do not become proud. So that we learn to fear Him. Now here's the beautiful thing. Remember I was talking about Paul being the kind of guy who was demonstrating to the people his willingness to go through it. Well, Paul is only a pathetic example compared to Jesus Christ who went through it. Went through it ahead of us. Through many tribulations, he made the kingdom of God for us. He does not say, take up your cross and I'll be waiting over here. He says, take up your cross and follow me, which means He is ahead of us. He has gone before us, and of course, starting with the fact that He carried His cross. That He Himself was crucified on our behalf. Jesus did not command us to take up our cross apart from Himself also having taken up His cross. The servant is not greater than the Master. They persecuted Him. They will persecute us as well. 
And here's the, here's the more encouraging thing. Not only did Jesus go ahead of us and die, but Jesus went ahead of us and was raised. Because if Jesus went ahead of us and died, and that's where it ended, what kind of good news is that? What kind of hope does that offer? Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, there's no hope unless Jesus was also raised. And that is why you can believe this kind of promise that we read in John 16.33. When he says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus not only went ahead of us through tribulations, he went ahead of us through those tribulations and was victorious. Not only did he go through those tribulations and become victorious in the end, but he also then called us to go through those tribulations promising that we will likewise be victorious in him. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. That must enter, that's a promise. The kingdom of God has been established. You will enter it through these tribulations. You have been enabled by His Spirit to overcome. To overcome sin and temptation. To even fight against principalities and powers and forces of darkness in this present age. He has overcome the world, and therefore we are given hope that we will overcome these tribulations. So, simply put, there's tribulations. We've looked at what what they are. You know, they, they can be... They can be physical sickness. They can be loss of a loved one. They can be sin and temptation in your own life. Various disciplines from the Lord. Persecution. There's all kinds of tribulations that we face in this life, right? And the question is, is there any hope of you ever being victorious? And the answer is, absolutely. And it is through those very tribulations that the path to heaven lies. You see that? It's that simple. It is through them 
That's where the path goes. Paul is not just <clears throat> being like, yeah, I know, there's a lot of kind of kind of bad things that happen in this life. Kind of kind of stinks. Sorry, you know. But you know, people have been making it through this stuff for like a while. And here's some water. You know, go home, be warm and well filled. No, he has given them the very message of hope. And so when he returns, he says, yeah, yeah, this is the path. Yeah, this is it. You're on the path. This is the path to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God lies this way. Yes, I see those tribulations. Yes, I see that suffering ahead of you. Yes, I see those temptations. Yes, I see the fact that you have fallen into sin once again. The kingdom of God is still that way. Go through. Straight through. Now, a little bit more encouragement in this. Remember, we have not been left alone. Of course, the most important way that we've not been left alone is Jesus said, it's better for me to go away, to go ahead of you, so that I can send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, right? So we have not been left alone, but we have received the Holy Spirit. The church has been given a tremendous gift. And the Holy Spirit gives us conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit gave us the Word of God. But that's not the only way that we haven't been left alone. Notice what else Paul and Barnabas do at the end of our text. It says that they appointed elders in each church. What a gift. Have you ever thought about having elders being a gift? I think of it fairly regularly. And after prayer, with fasting, and with the agreement of the people, men are appointed to continue leading God's people. So they're not left without ongoing teaching or discipline. What a wonderful thing. Don't we need that kind of encouragement? And finally, it says, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What does it mean to commend them to the Lord? <clears throat> it means they, 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 they prayed and they said, God, take these people. Bring them to yourself. In other words, 
They didn't say, okay, now you've got everything you need on your own. Go and do it on your own. No. They said, you've received the Holy Spirit. You know the, you know the truth of the Gospel message. The Lord in whom you've believed. You've received teaching. You've received elders. You've received everything you need from God. From God. Just like earlier when they're trying to convince the people not to sacrifice to them and not to worship them, they say, no, it's, it's God. They commend the people of Iconium to God. They commend the people of Lystra to God. They say, turn to Him. And so our hope is ultimately in the Lord's action, not our own. Does having elders save you? No. Does going through hard times in this life save you? No. Jesus Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit, is the one who started the work in you. And He is the only one who can bring it to completion. He is the only one who can bring you through the tribulations. He is the only one who bore the weight of the penalty of what your sins deserved on the cross. He's the only one who can bring the work to completion in you. And so when you first believed, what you believed is that He would save you. To continue in the faith, then, is what? Is to continue believing that He will save you. No matter what is coming down that road at you. To continue in the faith is to continue believing that He will save you from that thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Let's pray.